Section 5 of Character. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. Character by Samuel Smiles. Chapter 2, Part A. Home Power. So build we up the being that we are. Thus, deeply drinking in the soul of things, we shall be wise perforce. Wordsworth The mill-streams that turn the clappers of the world arise in solitary places. Helps In the course of a conversation with Madame Capon, Napoleon Bonaparte remarked, The old systems of instruction seem to be worth nothing what is yet wanting in order that the people should be properly educated mothers replied madame capon the reply struck the emperor yes said he here is a system of education in one word be it your care then to train up mothers who shall know how to educate their children amy martin lord with what care hast thou begirt us round parents first season us then schoolmasters deliver us to laws they send us bound to rules of reason george herbert home is the first and most important school of character it is there that every human being receives his best moral training or his worst for it is there that he imbibes those principles of conduct which endure through manhood and cease only with life it is a common saying that manners make the man and there is a second that mind makes the man but truer than either is a third that home makes the man for the home training includes not only manners and mind but character it is mainly in the home that the heart is opened the habits are formed the intellect is awakened and character molded for good or for evil from that source be it pure or impure issue the principles and maxims that govern society law itself is but the reflex of homes the tiniest bits of opinion sown in the minds of children in private life afterwards issue forth to the world and become its public opinion for nations are gathered out of nurseries and they who hold the leading strings of children may even exercise a greater power than those who wield the reins of government it is in the order of nature that domestic life should be preparatory to social and that the mind and character should first be formed in the home there the individuals who afterwards form society are dealt with in detail and fashioned one by one from the family they enter life and advance from boyhood to citizenship thus the home may be regarded as the most influential school of civilization for after all civilization mainly resolves itself into a question of individual training and according as the respective members of society are well or ill-trained in youth, so will the community which they constitute be more or less humanized and civilized. 
the training of any man even the wisest cannot fail to be powerfully influenced by the moral surroundings of his early years he comes into the world helpless and absolutely dependent upon those about him for nurture and culture from the very first breath he draws his education begins when a mother once asked a clergyman when she should begin the education of her child then four years old he replied madam if you have not already begun you have lost those four years from the first smile that gleams upon an infant's cheek your opportunity begins but even in this case the education had already begun for the child learns by simple imitation without effort almost through the pores of the skin a fig-tree looking on a fig-tree becometh fruitful says the arabian proverb and so it is with children their first great instructor is example however apparently trivial the influences which contribute to form the character of the child they endure through life the child's character is the nucleus of the man's all after education is but superposition the form of the crystal remains the same thus the saying of the poet holds true in a large degree the child is father of the man or as milton puts it the childhood shows the man as morning shows the day those impulses to conduct which last the longest and are rooted the deepest always have their origin near our birth it is then that the germs of virtues or vices of feelings or sentiments are first implanted which determine the character for life the child is as it were laid at the gate of a new world and opens his eyes upon things all of which are full of novelty and wonderment at first it is enough for him to gaze but by and by he begins to see to observe to compare to learn to store up impressions and ideas and under wise guidance the progress which he makes is really wonderful lord brougham has observed that between the ages of eighteen and thirty months a child learns more of the material world of his own powers of the nature of other bodies and even of his own mind and other minds than he acquires in all the rest of his life the knowledge which a child accumulates and the ideas generated in his mind during this period are so important that if we could imagine them to be afterwards obliterated all the learning of a senior wrangler at cambridge or a first classman at oxford would be as nothing to it and would literally not enable its object to prolong his existence for a week it is in childhood that the mind is most open to impressions and ready to be kindled by the first spark that falls into it ideas are then caught quickly and live lastingly thus scott is said to have received his first bent towards ballad literature from his mother's and grandmother's recitations in his hearing long before he himself had learned to read childhood is like a mirror which reflects in after life the images first presented to it the first thing continues forever with the child the first joy 
the first sorrow, the first success, the first failure, the first achievement, the first misadventure, paint the foreground of his life. All this while, too, the training of character is in progress, of the temper, the will, and the habits, on which so much of the happiness of human beings in after-life depends. Although man is endowed with a certain self-acting, self-helping power of contributing to his own development, independent of surrounding circumstances, and of reacting upon the life around him, the bias given to his moral character in early life is of immense importance. Place even the highest-minded philosopher in the midst of daily discomfort, immorality, and vileness, and he will insensibly gravitate toward brutality. How much more susceptible is the impressionable and helpless child amidst such surroundings? It is not possible to rear a kindly nature, sensitive to evil, pure in mind and heart, amid coarseness, discomfort, and impurity. Thus homes, which are the nurseries of children who grow up into men and women, will be good or bad according to the power that governs them. Where the spirit of love and duty pervades the home, where head and heart bear rule wisely there, where the daily life is honest and virtuous, where the government is sensible, kind, and loving, then may we expect from such a home an issue of healthy, useful, and happy beings, capable, as they gain the requisite strength, of following the footsteps of their parents, of walking uprightly, governing themselves wisely, and contributing to the welfare of those about them. On the other hand, if surrounded by ignorance, coarseness, and selfishness, they will unconsciously assume the same character, and grow up to adult years rude, uncultivated, and all the more dangerous to society if placed amidst the manifold temptations of what is called civilized life. Quote, Give your child to be educated by a slave, said an ancient Greek, and instead of one slave, you will then have two. End quote. The child cannot help imitating what he sees. Everything is to him a model of manner, of gesture, of speech, of habit, of character. Quote, For the child, says Richter, the most important era of life is that of childhood, when he begins to color and mold himself by companionship with others. Every new educator affects less than his predecessor, until at last, if we regard all life as an educational institution, a circumnavigator of the world is less influenced by all the nation he has seen than by his nurse. Models are therefore of every importance in molding the nature of the child, and if we would have fine characters, we must necessarily present before them fine models. Now, the model most constantly before every child's eye is the mother. One good mother, says George Herbert, is worth a hundred schoolmasters. In the home she is, quote, lodestone to all hearts and lodestar to all eyes, end quote. Imitation of her is constant. Imitation, which Bacon likens to, quote, a globe of precepts, end quote. But example is far more than precept. 
It is instruction in action. It is teaching without words, often exemplifying more than tongue can teach. In the face of bad example, the best of precepts are of but little avail. The example is followed, not the precepts. Indeed, precept at variance with practice is worse than useless, inasmuch as it only serves to teach the most cowardly of vices, hypocrisy. Even children are judges of consistency, and the lessons of the parent who says one thing and does the opposite are quickly seen through. The teaching of the friar was not worth much, who preached the virtue of honesty with a stolen goose in his sleeve. By imitation of acts, the character becomes slowly and imperceptibly, but at length, decidedly formed. The several acts may seem in themselves trivial, but so are the continuous acts of daily life. Like snowflakes, they fall unperceived. Each flake added to the pile produces no sensible change, and yet the accumulation of snowflakes makes the avalanche. So do repeated acts, one following another, at length become consolidated in habit, determine the action of the human being for good or for evil, and, in a word, form the character. It is because the mother, far more than the father, influences the action and conduct of the child, that her good example is of so much greater importance in the home. It is easy to understand how this should be so. The home is the woman's domain, her kingdom, where she exercises entire control. Her power over the little subject she rules there is absolute. They look up to her for everything. She is the example and model constantly before their eyes, who they unconsciously observe and imitate. Cowley, speaking of the influence of early example and ideas early implanted in the mind, compares them to letters cut in the bark of a young tree which grow and widen with age. The impressions then made, however slight they may seem, are never effaced. The ideas then implanted in the mind are like seeds dropped into the ground, which lie there and germinate for time, afterwards springing up in acts and thoughts and habits. Thus the mother lives again in her children. They unconsciously mold themselves after her manner, her speech, her conduct, and her method of life. Her habits become theirs, and her character is visibly repeated in them. This maternal love is the visible providence of our race. Its influence is constant and universal. It begins with the education of the human being at the outstart of life, and is prolonged by virtue of the powerful influence which every good mother exercises over her children through life. When launched into the world, each to take part in its labors, anxieties, and trials, they still turn to their mother for consolation, if not for counsel, in their time of trouble and difficulty. The pure and good thoughts she has implanted in their minds when children continue to grow up into good acts long after she is dead, and when there is nothing but a memory of her left, her children rise up and call her blessed. 
it is not saying too much to aver that the happiness or misery the enlightenment or ignorance the civilization or barbarism of the world depends in a very high degree upon the exercise of woman's power within her special kingdom of home indeed emerson says broadly and truly that quote, a sufficient measure of civilization is the influence of good women end quote. posterity may be said to lie before us in the person of the child in the mother's lap what that child will eventually become mainly depends upon the training and example which is received from his first and most influential educator woman above all other educators educates humanly man is the brain but woman is the heart of humanity he is the judgment she is the feeling he its strength she its grace ornament and solace even the understanding of the best woman seems to work mainly through her affections and thus though man may direct the intellect woman cultivates the feelings which mainly determine the character while he fills the memory she occupies the heart she makes us love what he can only make us believe and it is chiefly through her that we are enabled to arrive at virtue end of section five